On this episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness, we are honored to be joined by the head coach of Bemidji State University football, Brent Bolte. He's had an interesting transition into his role as the head coach, and he's got a lot to share with us about how to transition during a very challenging period in a program. He's come out fantastic on the other side, and we can't wait to hear his story. Here we go. All right, welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. We are honored to be joined by Bemidji State's head football coach, Brent Bolte. Uh, we have an exciting topic to talk with you about in terms of leadership, and that is how to transition in a, in a time of adversity. Uh, before we get into that, uh, just real quick, Coach Bolte, thanks for taking time. How are you today? I'm doing great, Tim. I appreciate you guys having me and excited to talk a little football and, and about uh, how to develop a program. Yeah, we know you've been doing a lot of Zooms. Coach Mathis, how are you today? Doing well. We're uh, actually uh, getting a little snow, getting a little of that Bemidji weather down here in uh, southern Iowa right now. We're supposed to be getting uh, six and a half inches. Oh, keep that out of, keep that out of eastern <laughs> Iowa. I'll try my best. <laughs> well, Coach Bolte, again, thanks so much for taking time. I know you've got a really busy schedule with, with managing the program that you have, uh, but to give our listeners a little background on on how you got to Bemidji, uh, we'd love to hear your story uh, because it's really interesting. And then we'll jump into a little bit more of that. Uh, so if you if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us how you got to where you are. Sure. You know, when I, I wrapped up, obviously, we played together at, at Cornell. And when I got done, uh, my life was really a, either going to PT school at the University of Iowa. That was one option. And then I just, I didn't know what for sure I, I wanted to do if I wanted to pursue that. And then Coach Miller actually helped me uh, pursue some GA jobs. I actually had a GA offer at University of South Dakota. And then long story short, it ended up going to Matt Hughes that played at University of Iowa. Uh, John um, was obviously their head coach was from from Iowa and had some ties. So when that kind of fell through, I was kind of late in the summer and I already bypassed my opportunity to go into PT school. So uh, another former Ram, uh, Matt Casebolt, was over at Loris College in Dubuque, and it just worked out. I, I interviewed out there, got that job late, um, and was there for one season. I coached, believe it or not, I was receivers and quarterbacks uh, at, at Loris, which obviously I was a, a defensive guy in college. Um, but after that season, I mean, that staff was awesome. Uh, you think about like Greg Bauer went, went from there and went to Northern Illinois. His brother was a strength coach, Division One strength coach. Uh, and a lot of those ties from Loris and Cornell kind of helped me get opportunities when I decided to look at, you know, climbing the ladder a little bit. So uh, I interviewed at a handful of schools when I got done. I interviewed at St. Cloud State uh, after that first year, Bemidji State, South Dakota State, some of the, you know, D2 schools in the region, especially North South Dakota and Minnesota, and had a couple job offers. Uh, but I just really fell in love with Bemidji State. Our head coach at the time, Jeff Tesh. Uh, great guy, devote Christian type of guy, run the FCA. It just, it clicked with me. Uh, I'm an outdoors person, so that obviously helps uh, uh, along the way. And I've been here ever since. I was a GA for a year and a half. Um, and then, you know, as a typical deal, you as a GA, you got to go look for a job. Um, so I was out on the road. I actually was interviewing, I think I interviewed at uh, Fort Hayes State, I interviewed down in Missouri at a couple different of uh, the D Division II schools. 
Um, and when I was on the road, I found out the guy that hired me, Aaron Valleca, was actually from Cedar Rapids. I uh, played at Coe. Um, so there was a connection of why I got in at Bemidji State. Uh, but he he took a year off or was looking to get out of football. And lo and behold, the full-time job opened at Bemidji, and that's how I kind of got my foot in the door here. So, Coach, can you talk about the transition between you and, and the former head coach at Bemidji? There's kind of two parts that I'd like to kind of delve into and that, you know, looking back on it, you know, as it's been your program for a while now, would you have done anything differently in that transition period? And then the other part is what surprised you the most once you kind of got your your grips of of the head job? I mean, looking back on it, was there something that once you got into it, you're like, wow, I didn't know that this was going to be like this or something in regards to that? Well, the first thing is head coach has got paperwork up, the yin yang. That's the first thing that I found out. But you know, kind of rewinding to how it all unfolded, it, it was an extremely difficult situation. Just number one, the timing. Um, our head coach got released, I think it was three or four days before our opening game um, of the 2016 season. So there wasn't a lot of thinking involved. Uh, when I got named the interim head coach, it was basically AD came in, said, hey, I'd like you to run the program during this you know time of, you know, as we figured things out um, just like anything that, you know, there was things going on where we were just trying to figure out if our head coach was going to come back, if he, he was on leave at that point. And so I didn't really change a lot that first year. I, I didn't really know if I was going to be the long-term head coach or not. Um, so I just ran with it. And to be honest with you, that part really, our, our head coach, you know, coach Tesh was a great man and, and, awesome person to work for. So I didn't really change much. I'm not a huge micromanager in that sense. I think you got to put faith in your staff to do what they're supposed to do and just let them, you hire them for a reason. So that was a big part of what my philosophy is. I I don't think we have to micromanage. I think you have to have your coordinators control their side of the ball. Uh, I think the hardest thing for me is I was a D coordinator at that spot or at that time still. So I didn't feel comfortable right away turning the D coordinator position over to one of the assistants. So um, between the recruiting calls and just, you know, all the things that the head coach had to do and, you know, travel, bus, I mean, all the the things that you don't think about as an assistant, those things were kind of overwhelming for me. So, and I think we got to about the fifth or sixth game, I transitioned out and let our, our linebacker coach take over the defense just so I could, have a little bit more time uh, to try to figure out the recruiting aspect. So I think that, you know, that that's how the transition occurred to me. And then I got hired shortly thereafter. The season was over, got promoted as a full-time head coach at, at that point. Um, but as a head coach, I can tell you this much, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things that you just don't think about from gear orders. I mean, jocks, socks, you know, cleats, all those sorts of things, you know, you think they magically show up on game day or they're there um, and just doing the, you know, the, the recruiting piece, I love recruiting. I, I like the work behind it, but setting everything up from, you know, the banquets and, and making sure you got the hotels and everything kind of logistically set and looking at all aspects of the program. Those were the things that were a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say overwhelming, but I just didn't know how much time those were really going to take. And, and so a lot of it, you know, a lot of people talk about coaches and slash managers type of, of duties and, the managerial stuff is is something that probably still takes up, you know, 70% of your time compared to before where you were coaching 70% of the time. The, the, it, 
you you obviously had uh, something major happen in that program to for for it to change, but but clearly you've done a really good job of of maintaining um, and and getting better as a program. So what did you do uh, to keep your current staff and players engaged and moving forward? You know that's a great question, and it, you know with the thing that happened with their former head coach is you know I, I keep bringing it back up and. I can only, you know, talk about certain things or some legal issues, obviously, that prevent me from talking about everything. But I'll tell you this much is, you know, working with a guy for, you know, 15 plus years, knowing him the way I, I, I know him is, is it's, it was difficult because you take away one of your best friends off the field and just a really good human. But, you know, mistakes are made. It's just like any corporation these days. If, you know, the body of work that a person does, you can put 30 years of good stuff in and make one mistake that's deemed to be, you know, fairly large and you're going to get removed. And so that's what ended up happening. So when when I was able to take it over, it was really simple. You rely back on some of your core values and beliefs. Um, I'm definitely a, a throwback coach still. I, I love our guys. I like the interaction. I think it keeps you young. You got to have fun with it. Uh, but more importantly, you got to be disciplined. And I think in my opinion, is that something that's drastically changed over the duration of time since I was in high school, the college and now coaching is that, you know, you get kids that come in that maybe have never been held accountable. Uh, Parents have a hard time doing that. I think the instant gratification that kids want in our society, it's, it's, you know, working hard and understanding it's a three or four year process. So we came up with that mantra right away of grind the ax. That was something that we came up with right away. I think it embodies the blue collar, hardworking mentality. And, you know, I'm a farm kid from Northeast Iowa. A lot of the things that we talk about are very similar to the things that I got hammered in my head from my dad when I was young. It's just, if you want something, go take it. It's not going to be given to you. So Mm. that's what I continually the hammer to the guys. And I don't care if it's a true freshman or a senior that's playing. Um, And I think our guys understand that the best people are going to play. And then, you know, I'm aggressive by nature as a coach. I want to be different uh, offensively, defensively and special teams. So uh, but still kind of have that edge to you, you know, and and, and certainly still still be disciplined. But I think that's what I really carried over. And and luckily, the kids bought bought into it. And and things have been pretty good overall since uh, since I've been able to take it over. So, Coach, what would you say, looking back, you know, as your career as a head coach and maybe even as, you know, as an assistant, and this necessarily doesn't have to be at Bemidji State, but what would, would, you, would you say were some of the most powerful lessons like you've learned in, at, in your time as being a head coach or an assistant? I think one of the bigger things that I just always come back to is with our staff is that, you know, it may be comes across a lot of time that it's going to be you know an autocratic style of coaching. Like, hey, what the coaches say is going to be the finalized thing. And you could be as a head coach that way. Some some head coaches want to have all the control in the world. I, I'm not like that. Um, and I've seen it the opposite way at some of the programs that have been around and some of the guys that I've known really closely that have gone out and been successful at different levels. Um, I'll give you an example. Like when I was a defensive coordinator, Coach Yonner, Rich Yonner, our, our defensive back coach who – uh, is retiring this year. He's been at Bemidji State for 24 years. And that guy, had, when he came in, he was the D coordinator. And then as I came in, we we split jobs and I became co-coordinator. And then my head coach, Coach Tesh, promoted me to full-time coordinator, which kind of reduced his role to DB guy. 
But as I always say, it's like we sit in those meetings, we game plan, like the collective minds of three or four are better than one. So I just, I, I just can't in my mind go back to just saying, hey, you know, rule it with an iron fist and just what, what I say goes. I think you have to listen to your staff. Um, and I think we have a great staff and I've been fortunate to keep the vast majority of the guys for a long time. I mean, Coach Traxler's been here for 20 plus years, you know, Yonner, obviously for 20 plus years, the guys that we've been able to bring back, uh, Coach Pike was here. Now he's our offensive coordinator. Uh, before that, the guys that have left have all been guys that have, have moved up the, the food chain. Now they're coaching. We got a guy that's a special teams coordinator that left. One guy left uh, to be a head coach at another Division II school at the University of Mary, Coach Bagnell. Um, our outside linebacker coach is the D-line coach at South Dakota State. Um, one of our former D-line coaches now is at UTEP. Um, so we feel like we're kicking out some pretty good player, pretty good coaches. And I think it just goes back to, Hey, you got to recruit good coaches too. But, um, we know that they're kind of the lifeblood of the, the organization. You want to keep those guys as long as you can. Um, but on the flip side, it's okay to have your, you know, your coaching tree grow and go out. So I think that's one of the best things that I've learned. The other thing is, is give your, your kids a sense of control of the program. Um, I just, again, they're putting the time and effort into it. What we ask college athletes to do compared to when I played, you know, and I know they do this at the D3 level all the way up to the major college level, but we expect our kids to be here 12 months a year. They're, they're not getting time off. They're not, I mean, they can go on vacations and this and that, but uh, it's a tough gig. You know, life in the balance is a big push by division two. It's hard to, to get kids to understand just some of the base fundamentals. They get so wrapped up in athletics and, and that's, in a way why we recruit them. But I think they just got to understand that they need to be well-rounded and get out and do community service and do those things. So that was, those are some of the big parts. Like we have a leadership council that we have, you know, that we bring in with every year group. So I meet with those guys um, weekly. I try, obviously we have our captains uh, alongside of that. Um, and to be honest with you, some of the best things that we've changed have been off of our players input. So you know, we changed our practice routine, and and I think that was probably one of the best things that we ever did. Not to get completely sidetracked, but we are uh, we're a, we're a Sunday. You know, play Saturday. We we obviously meet and actually practice on Sunday. We bring bring our guys in, watch film review. We do a little bit of stuff, walkthroughs like correctional tape stuff. They lift and do some mobility training on Sunday. And then we're off on Mondays. Like we were completely off and it's a game plan day. And then for us, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're actually, we just, we practice in shells. We never in full gear, but on Thursdays we are in nothing. It's, we call it uh, no sweat Thursdays. We're out there, you know, we'll still walk through, you know, 150 plays plus special teams, but we get that done in an hour and 15 minutes tops. And then on Friday, it's a pretty heavy day in terms of, amount like we sweat pretty like we're gonna break a sweat and get the blood moving on Fridays so we kind of went to that Olympic model and we had a transfer kid actually that came in that they they had done it at the previous institution and it took me a while to grasp but I wasn't sure that I was gonna like it but honestly it's the best thing that we've ever did reduction of concussions reduction of just overuse injuries it was extraordinarily good so uh, you can learn a lot from your players I guess is my point and that's something that you know maybe as a younger coach I probably didn't put a lot of merit into that Coach, what, why would you do, do the no sweat Thursday uh, two days before a game instead of the day before? Is there kind of a rhyme or reason before that? Because obviously our lightest day is Thursday before a Friday game. 
So, you know, the, the research behind it honestly comes back from like swimming and track. So especially the Olympic model that they do is they do one of their heavier workouts for like swimming the day before the competition or even the day of the competition, they'll, they'll do a workout in the morning. So we went with that ideology is like, well, why do you want to be no movement on a Friday when your games like the following days, like, yeah, your rest, I get it. Like you're like, you're worried about injuries occurring, but it's just the kids get the kids moving um, in muscle memory and, and all that. So from the research we got through our trainers, our strength staff and our, our strength staff, our head strength conditioning coach is awesome. His name's Dallas Charles, and he was at University of uh, or North Dakota State University. He was at Montana uh, State, Northern Arizona, and he came back, and they had been doing it. So he really sold me on it just for the recovery rate and getting the kids at their optimal levels to perform. I would love to talk more with you offline of that uh, about that, Coach Bolte. Um, that, that's really, really interesting because, you know, we all deal with that issue of, you know, what's too much, what's too little, uh, you know, how do you prevent injuries in practice, particularly of the, of the head nature. So uh, that's really awesome. I, I love the fact that you, you're willing to put yourself out there and, and show vulnerability to your, your players and your coaches that you don't have all the answers. And, you know, that's one of the things that we're really finding out as we, as we dig into some of these uh, podcasts is guys who have it figured out, <laughs> have it figured out they don't know ha- half of what they, they say they do. And they're willing to learn and grow. And, and I commend you for that. And, and so I guess that takes me to the next question is really, as you've been coaching now for well into 20 years, what's what's kind of your driving force? What's your why uh, as to as to what you want to get out of coaching or what you want to give back to coaching? You know, my why, and it's interesting you say that our, our defensive coordinator, Coach Bish, you know, uses that term a lot. What's your why? And, and goes through the, the whole you know, spiel with our players every year. Um, when I got into it, honestly, it, it wasn't necessarily about, you know, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I love collegiate athletics. Part of me thought that I'd, I'd get in the administrative side at, at some point. Um, but my driving force and the why that I continue to do it is the kids, the players. Um, and it certainly makes you feel young. Um, you know, the, the hours go by fast. I mean, you think about it, we're a morning staff, like we still meet at 6 or 6.30 uh, in the mornings during the week and all that. Um, but I want our coaches out. Like I want them to be family guys. I want them to be dads. I want them to, you know, bring their kids on road trips and make that unique and unique to Bemidji State where you can still be a family because collegiate coaching is a pain. Like there's not a lot of coaches in the country that have been at one institution or one college for over, heck, five or 10 years compared to being one at 20. And at one point we had – well, at one point we had five coaches over 12 years that were here, you know, before some of the guys left from different jobs or retired. But my big thing is that I want to see kids be successful and, you know, we can bring kids in from all walks of life, you know, transfers or, or kids from small town Minnesota compared to inner city or whatever. But the commonality is that they come here to get an education and then you want to see them understand that, this is going to allow them to be a good dad. It's going to allow them to be a provider for their family. And some of those things that you do within a program, they're not going to like it. And sometimes you got to hold that accountability and hold the standard extraordinarily high. And number one, accept that failure is going to be a part of it. Like you're not going to win every game, but there's lessons to be learned. I think adversity in itself is probably the number one, you know, 
number one thing that you can take away and defines you as a person, like how you react from adversity. In my opinion, that's been again hammered from uh, again. A lot of this came from my my dad and my my family itself. Is like you know, all right, you lose a game, you look at it, well, I didn't have a good game or whatever. But what can you pick yourself up and do something better? Uh, and that can relate back to your relationships with your family. It could be your you know your beliefs religiously. It can be a lot of those things and tie back to your everyday life. And hopefully you can look in the mirror and become a better version of yourself and you walk out the version that you want. And that's what we talk a lot to about our guys a lot. It's like, Hey, look in the mirror and all the things that you're complaining about, or, you know, are you a finger pointer or a thumb pointer? I'm sure you heard that before. Uh, really easy ideology. Are you going to blame everybody else for what's going on? Or are you going to take ownership of what's going on? So I think some of those core values and beliefs for me, those are the main ones. And that's what I want to get to our players. And, you know, Hey, it's great. If we get some guys in the NFL, it's great. But man, I love love it now where we're doing some of these Zoom meetings and I get, you know, we have 10 or 12 former players that are out coaching. They got a buddy or one of our guys is at Wyoming and we got guys kind of all over the place now. But to sit in there and, and see these guys that are now being successful, they have their kids, they have their wives and, and, and being able to provide, that's a pretty big uh, feather in the cap for coaching. Yeah, I would 100% agree with you. So, Coach, when you took over at Bemidji State, you obviously had to have a vision for that program. So looking back on it, how would you say, how would you grade yourself out on that? And what would you say that you need to continue to do to, to, to meet and match that vision you had for the program? You know, my vision for this program and what the one thing that we have not been able to do and what my major goal and aspiration is get the national playoffs, uh, we've been – in my four years, you know, the graduating senior class was the all-time winningest class in BSU history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, A, I got lucky to have a tremendous group of kids that came through and then great coaching staff. And I think accidental-wise, we do a great job. But, you know, I think for us is that somehow we have to find a way to, to kick down the door to get the national playoffs. And that's my ultimate goal. Um, over the last two years, I think we've handled – some of the more adverse situations that we've ever had with injuries um, our starting quarterback for the last two. Well, if you look back at the last three years, our starting quarterbacks, I think it probably only played maybe eight games in three years. Hmm. So the kids have been able to buy back into it. Like this year we were eight and three, but man, uh, we could have, we won three games in the last seconds. Uh, we lost one game in overtime. We went for two and didn't get it. We lost another game. We won another game on the last play. So, I mean, five games of the season literally came down to the last snap of the game. Uh, insane, you know, scenario. But I think that kind of bleeds back to, or relates back to, to what we preach with the kids. But, you know, that's my main goal. And the university itself, like we've been able to add scholarships. Uh, the Northern Sun is not very few of the institutions here are going to be fully funded, uh, meaning at the 36. So I would say we were probably in the bottom third of scholarships for the longest time. And that was one of my huge things that I wanted to get accomplished. And we're getting there. Uh, I think we'll be close to 32 um, here coming up shortly. So that's been a huge factor uh, to being able to recruit kids and retain kids. Um, but that's, yeah, that's my major goal. I want to do something here at Bemidji state that's never been done. And, you know, we won, we went to a bowl game. We won that, uh, the mineral water bowl, which was awesome. That's the first postseason postseason win that we've ever had. Uh, we did that in 16 and, and uh, we've been regionally ranked. We've been in the top 25 almost every year, but you gotta, 
you got to be in that top 15 typically. And that's, that's my goal for the program and the vision for where we're trying to get to. So what's it going to take to get there outside of fully funding the scholarship piece? What, what, what do you think is, is missing? Um, I think number one is just a very, very good league. Um, you, you know, we had Mankato state or Minnesota state Mankato. Uh, I mean, this year, I mean, we played six ranked opponents in the top 25, I think it was, um, or five. Um, so we were able to do and, you know, compete with those teams as, as good as anybody in the country, but you got to survive your own conference first and be able to get out of it. So, but personally, like what we have to do institutionally, we're doing some of those things. Like we, we have a new football complex meeting the football side for, for our offices. They put uh, our alumni, gosh, I, I bet you they donated, I, I don't know, 60 to $80,000. They did the wall wraps for recruiting. That was nice. The university um, moved our, our football program or department uh, across campus, which is directly across from the stadium where we have a pretty unique scenario where we have an offense and defensive meeting room. All of our coaches have a big enough rooms where we can meet with our players in our offices. So that, that surely helps with the recruiting piece. But I think the biggest difference is I thought for years and years, our, our first team or our, our ones were as good as anybody in the conference. But as you guys know, those guys aren't out there for every game. So the depth within it is, is something that I think has allowed us to, to be able to handle some of it. Cause I mean, this year we played our third and fourth string quarterback. I mean, those are the guys that we had and we went wildcat and did all these crazy things, but, but uh, the pieces are there. I mean, we do have some hurdles. I mean, we are who we are. We're in Northern Minnesota and we're in the Lake country. We only have 35,000 people in the surrounding area, but that is going to be, it makes it easier for recruiting in some ways. If some kids don't want to or want to be in a major metropolitan area, we're going to move on. And, and I'm pretty adamant about this is that we're going to have kids that fit us and they're going to stay and we're going to retain those kids. So it's, that's why we have fairly, you know, good graduation rates. You look at our senior group, like the next three years, we're in the twenties for guys leaving the program, which that's pretty absurd number to be honest with you compared to a lot of our opponents. So the kids, you know, when you have a lot of values and beliefs that are similar, they, they buy back in. You don't have a lot of kids leaving the program, which which obviously, obviously helps you win, win a lot of games. So, Coach, not to divulge or you know, dive too far off the cliff here in the sense of, but, you know, I was very interested in, in your take on, um, you know, in regards to when you talk about recruiting players and – Obviously, recruiting has changed over the last 20 years, you know, to how it used to be. I was just interested in your in your thoughts on it. I mean, I, I know a big driving force to why that has changed is technology. Do you feel it's a good thing? Do you feel it's a, it's it's okay? It's it's we're taking a step back. I mean, I know you, you hear a lot of people talk about kids who want to be Twitter recruits and and things like that, and and. Uh, you know, I'm just interested in, in your insight on, on the whole world of recruiting and that in that process. And, and obviously, I know how you recruit because, you know, my, my son was was, you know, privileged to be recruited by you. And I, and I have some pretty intimate knowledge of, of how your staff operates. And and so I think you guys do it the right way. But I was just, you know, really interested in, in your take on things. Yeah, I think recruiting has changed more in the last four or five years than maybe the previous, you know, three or four decades. It's the the process is sped up to a point where 
you know, the earlier signing periods and kids are getting offered earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, I do think it needs to change to some degree. Um, number one, if we're going to go down this road of having early recruitments and early commitments, then in my opinion, you got to hold the university accountable. Um, I could throw out 700 offers, you know, and sit here and say, hey, first come, first serve. Well, if I'm given a tangible offer, like, you know, for us, we can break it up. Like we could give a kid a dollar a full ride. We got all the, the liberties that we can at Division Two. But if I'm at a Power 5 school or FBS school, those offers better mean something. And all of a sudden they offer, you know, 10 guys and are like, well, hey, you know, we're not going to accept the number 10 kid. And they tell them that, go, hey, you have an offer, but oh, by the way, you have to wait. What if I want to commit? That that to me doesn't seem fair to the to the individual, but that's the way it's worked, and you'll see it. It's so common, like one school, Power Five school pops, and then ten other ones, you know, follow it. It it almost has become a Twitter war, or you know, Instagram, or how you want to say it, a social media, you know, frenzy. Like one kid, oh, you know, if, if K State's good enough to offer this kid, then Wyoming will, and Iowa State will, and all of a sudden, the kid comes from no offers to ten, and it's no different in the NSIC, and and you know. We are recruiting a different pot of kids, but if kids are borderline, you know, if they have maybe an FCS offer in, you know, the Missouri Valley, well, they very easily could get dropped later on in the process. So we still have to recruit those kids. So all of a sudden our pool is enormous where we feel like we have a pretty good ideology and idea of who's going to be a division two caliber kid. But all of a sudden they pop, uh, you know, some offer from an FCS school and then they get dropped later in the process. So it makes it hard in that sense. Uh, the early signing period for Division One certainly has clarified it for the Division Two schools for us, which I love. I love having the early signing period for that because it clarifies who we have left to offer and can concentrate on those kids. Um, but being a dad, like I don't know if my son or daughter will ever be in that you know situation, be fortunate enough to be recruited. Um, there's no way my son or daughter is going to commit to a school, you know, in their junior year. I think it's asinine to, to, to force kids to do that or threaten them with their scholarship being pulled that early in their, their career, because how do they know? Like maybe they want to, you know, a certain degree path to take them a certain way. And all of a sudden they get, you know, roped into doing something. So I think that's really hard. Um, and I, I agree with you that it's, it's fairly unique and it's changed and it's, changed so much because of the summer recruiting like you almost have to go to camps if you're recruiting now yeah. and some of these kids that are less you know not as privileged in terms of financial background they can't afford to go do it and and you know those kids don't get recruited as hard so it's uh it's flawed uh, i don't know how to fix it but for us right now as a division two head coach I actually don't mind the fact that the the signing dates earlier for division one and that helps us clarify stuff so and then it just goes back to building a relationship and doing your due diligence to finding if the kid's going to be a fit and seeing if the parents fit. Like, I don't have a lot of parent issues because I'm pretty blunt and upfront with them. Hey, here's the expectations and what's going to happen. So those are all part of the the, the recruitment stuff. Well, Coach, I, I think that what you've done in in term, in your four years there, you, you had a vision for when you were coming into the program. You were able to see what was working and what – uh, what maybe needed to change a little bit. I think I'm just most impressed with how uh, committed you are to your values. And I think that's that's the takeaway here when we're talking about uh, leaders transitioning in, in turmoil, in, in situations that maybe they didn't necessarily ask for. But I think you've done a really good job of, of setting the tone 
for what people need to do. And, and I commend you for that. Uh, when we come back from our break, we got several more questions here for you that we want to get through. Welcome back, Coach Bolte. Uh, great thoughts here in the first half. As, as we jump in here, uh, you've been talking about uh, really listening to your players and your staff in, in terms of building your program. But I'm curious what, what you do strategically to uh, keep players in your program invested uh, outside of you know listening to their opinion on everything. But what are some of the things that you do to keep retention up there uh, in, in the hitherlands? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing that we always try to do is have everything be competitive in nature. And so I think one of the things that we get our kids to buy back into is is uh, how we handle the offseason, which I always say the offseason is kind of the more important than anything else anyway. So one of the big things that we do, we do a battle for the brand. We have this big oar where we tie off and the kids that win the programs or the offseason conditioning and or offseason uh workouts it ties in a lot of different things so we use this and it was really jerry kill came up with it and, and a guy out at rutgers and we kind of modified it made it our own so it takes an account for attendance for class we grade check we do all those everyday routine type of things um we're a little militant in a way where we have sign-ins where our kids have to come in before 10 o'clock in the morning and just get five minutes with their position coach um and meet with those guys. They got to, we, we do academic calendars. So they come in, talk about, Hey, do I need help? Here's reporting a grade. So we're very, you know, locked in with their academic piece that way, but it means a little bit more. So when we get to, you know, the off season, um, we do all sorts of competitions. So like we do finishers within the weight room. It could just be a push-up competition or wall sits or, or whatever we're doing. And then when we get to come down there as a staff, you know, I try to liven it up. Like we do rope pulls, we do anything that we can do competitive. Like we did, you know, a dodgeball tournament. The last one we did, we did a theme, let the kids, you know, their team's best dress. So they came in, we had one that was, you know, like a Harlem Globetrotter team, just something stupid to let the kids have fun. So um, it doesn't always just have to be the grind of waking up and working out. So you try to liven things up with competitions and it's not just your freshmen, have your upperclassmen buy back into it. Um, and that's a big part. And then again, I think you got to have some type of tie with your, your players and go back to like that leadership council, um, which I think is vitally important to do and kind of get a, a, a pulse on the team. Um, and you're going to lose kids no matter how, how you do it. But I think it's reduced the amount of kids that we lose uh, and the kids that leave our program are guys that maybe – shouldn't be here, you know, athletically and all that sort of thing, maybe weren't great fit or they get buried in the depth chart. But, you know, we have 110 guys on our roster is what we can carry. Um, you know, our average recruiting class is going to be 28 ish, some odd guys like that. So you can figure out, yeah, we're losing, you know, four or five kids, you know, throughout the, the course of time before they graduate. But uh, that's how we kind of keep our retention uh, as high as we do. And it's, and you also just make things black and white. There's no gray area. You're either doing it right or wrong and then have accountability within it. And I said this before and I'll say it again. Like, I think a lot of the things that we have to deal with as collegiate coaches come back to, and I'm not trying to make anybody or offend people, it's a lack of parenting. And I think that goes a long, long ways uh, of disciplining your kids and, and 
it doesn't always have to be their way. There's things in in, in your program that you're going to set up and they might not agree with it, but that's life. You're going to have a job that you don't like or don't agree with your boss or you don't like this or that. And you can have open lines of communication about it. But at the end of the day, what's the best for the team is best for the team and you might not like it. So um, I, I'm fairly you know, open about the concept. I'm, I'm even within recruiting when parents come up. Is going, hey, this is the way the program is going to be run. We don't hold favorites or hold people, you know, different standards. You know, if you're the best, you're going to play. But understand that your kid's going to be held accountable. And I'm going to treat them just like I treat my old son or daughter. And that's the hardest part. Like kids don't necessarily, they you don't know, like getting up in the mornings. Like we're, we're a morning lift. We're a morning run team. Like they're going to be morning people by the time they get out of here. Uh, they don't like getting up at 530 in the morning to be there at six o'clock. Well, when they get their first job working, you know, it, it pays off dividends and, and things like that. So it's fun to get the emails and get correspondence with players. And, and uh, I, today I actually got a call from one of our kids that graduated this year and he got his first job and he got promoted and he's like, coach, he's like, never thought I'd say this, but I want to thank you guys for all you did and, and hold me accountable and kind of justifies what you're, what you're doing this whole time. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because, um, nobody sees it when they're going through it. I mean, I'm guilty of that, you know, uh, but you see it when you're on the other side. And, and that's one of that's, that's a great balance. Uh, Ad, Admiral William McRaven said it best, I think in his university of Texas commencement speech, he actually wrote a book about it. Dwayne, you've referenced it, but uh, make your bed. And if you want to be successful in life, start by making your bed. And then he's got 10, eight or 10 points that he learned through his Navy SEAL training. And the one that you ben- mentioned um, that, you know, nothing or not everything is going to go the way you want it to uh, is what he refers to as being a sugar cookie. You know, so in the surf, you know, you, you, you get all dressed up in your to the to the nines and you're in your belt buckle and your uniform and your hat. And as you go through inspection, it um, doesn't matter how perfect it is. One of your sergeants is going to find something wrong with it, even if there is nothing wrong with it. And then you're going to go jump in the surf and roll in the sand till you're covered with sand. And they call you the sugar cookie. And so then you got to be in your, your dress blues and covered in sand and wet till the end of the day. And he said it happened to him several times. And the lesson there is exactly what you just talked about. And, you know, I, I love the idea, the concept of being a sugar cookie. It gets out of, it takes away the excuses because you can give your best effort on some days and it still not go your, your way. And, and that's a lesson I, I think that we all can, can learn from. Yeah. That's awesome that you brought up the, the little things. That's when we come into fall camp, we allow, Every one of our, our coaches, even the GAs, get a, get to speak in front of the team and they'll have a topic. So ever since I've been or ever since I saw that, the very first meeting with our players after on report day that night, that's the topic. I showed the video, the little things. We talked about mm-hmm. making your back. Um, so I love it. Uh, that that makes – it hit homes with me or hit homes with me because that's exactly what we preach to our guys. It's like – if you can't, you know, why do we make you start behind a line on sprints? Why do we make you, you know, have your mouthpiece buckled up? All those little small things that you you think are mundane and, and all that. And we talk a lot about the three G's. We talk about grit plus grind equals greatness. And mm. that's a, a big selling point for me. And it's trendy. Everybody talks about grit, the grind and all that. But that's kind of been our pillars for a long time. If you can get kids within your system and coaches too. Um, that buy back into it. I mean, there's a lot of mundane things you're going to have to do in your life, but they all kind of culminate to, to lead to greatness. 
Yeah, Angela Duckworth calls grit, determination with direction. It's really just purpose behind the work. And, and, and that has to be individualized for everybody. They've got to find what it is that drives them going kind of back to that why. Mm-hmm. Coach, what would you kind of say, you know, for young coaches getting into it, whether it be, you know, a high school coach or a young college coach getting into the, into the business, what advice would you have for them? Well, I think the first thing, you better be pretty selfless when you're doing it. Uh, I think that's something that, you know, me included, it's like, I want to come in and win. I want to move up the ranks. I want to be a head coach. I want to, you know, be the head coach at the University of Iowa. But when you start buying back into it, it's not about me. And I've always said that about our players and, and to our staff. It's like, you know, the program's a program. There's been a lot of people, like, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of the people that built the foundation, you know, and and. That's uh, something I stole from our hockey coach, Tom Serratori, that's been doing it for a long time. And he does a great job with his, 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 his alumni base and keeping them active. But it's very, very true. Like here at Bemidji State, we haven't had a ton, like looking back at the, the history, we haven't had a ton of success. We've had a lot of coaches that maybe won and then got out. And Coach Tesh really kind of turned the tide and got us pointed in the right direction. But the, the point is, with what we communicate and what I look at is like, Hey, young coaches, it's, it's not about you. It's about the players and it's the development and making people better and in, and not being the weakest link. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding that is, you know, we're trying to get the 11 best or the 10 best coaches and do the best job that you ultimately can. So you're not the weakest link uh, in, in the chain where you're going to have a breakdown or it could be communication or physical attributes or whatever. Uh, but as a coach going into it, you know, I think the devil's in the details. You got to make sure that you're pre- preparing yourself and, and putting your kids in the best spots humanly possible. And if you're not, you're failing as a coach. And if it's about you, then you're certainly not doing it for the right reasons. So I think those are some of the big parts as a young coach is just, again, you got to pour your heart and soul into it. But yet, once you get that tradition, that culture built, it's your players that really, you know, are the ones that are going to portray that and recruit the younger kids. Like in high school, I, I mean, I know when I was a young kid watching my brother play and watching, I, I couldn't wait to play high school football because of the culture that they had. When I got to Cornell, you know, Cornell, we were winning. And I remember, you know, the upperclassmen, I was like, holy cow, like, you know, Coach Lovell and, you know, Matt Mitchell and Trestle and all those guys that were playing, you know, and, and Mike Golick, one of my favorite quotes for forever has been, he talked about why he was never late for a meeting. And it was real simple, you know, when they were doing Mike and the Mike in the, or Mike and Mike in the morning, he was like, it's real simple. I just didn't want to let my teammates down. And so when you give people to understand that and the players take the ownership of the program, instead of it being about the coach or being about, you know, the wins and losses, I think that culture gets built. And so you're not going to have that culture if your coaches don't understand that. And it's a, uh, it's a lot of work. As you guys know, it's, it's, it's tedious. It's time consuming. You're giving a lot of your time up for, for others but that's also the beauty of it. And it comes back, you know, a hundredfold to what you're going to get out of it, um, to what you put into it. Yeah, that is, uh, I, I love Mike and Mike. In fact, I miss Mike and Mike. It's just not the same. That's my side comment for that, but, uh, you know, truly, truly phenomenal program. Uh, I don't know if you know, but, uh, you know, my affin- affinity for Bill Curry, what uh, drew me to getting him on our podcast was listening to him on Mike and Mike. Um, he is a Packer great and, you know, legendary coach, and I'm a Bears fan, so it's natural that I'd, I'd be I'd want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but hey, listen, you know, one of the things we always love to ask the guys on our podcast is um, a couple things. What are you reading right now? And then what are some books that have changed the way you think or, or, or given you uh, a lot of great uh, information that you, you'd love other people to know? Well, the crazy thing. Um, you my, just learned to read. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I've, I've mastered that a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. I go back and read a lot of older books. Um, and a lot of the things that I read are military based a lot. It's not a, outside of coaching a lot. Um, I'm going to forget who the author is, but one of the coaches when I was recruiting in Chicago a handful of years ago gave me a book that was about training, the military training, and how it goes back, like with tempo and how it affects your ability to uh, essentially read relevant cues. So, once your heart rate gets a certain percent, if it's 80 or 90% of your maximal heart rate, which, you know, if you got a 20 year old kid, you, you know, it's 220 minus your age, you can figure it out. But what they figured out is that you lose the ability of, of hearing at times. And all of a sudden, like you're doing all these checks and you're in, in at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, really understanding the, you know, the, the physiological part of why, you know, tempo working and, and then it kind of ties back into, how we prepare our kids in practice. Uh, Cause I want to stress our kids game like every single day uh, as much as we possibly can. So doing conditioning between drills, or if you have your ones going, have your twos doing conditioning and some things like that to, to stress them out, you know, the, the physiological aspect, because it all goes back. I mean, you can say it's, you know, 90% physical and 10% mental or however you want to look at it, but it all ties back in the, you know, the holistic approach. But I've, I've heard it so many times from, you know, when, when tempo got popular, it's like, oh, I didn't hear the check or I missed this or didn't do that. And that really was back to it. Um, I've been reading, the last, honestly, what I'm currently reading is the old Bo Schembechler book. Um, right. That's what I'm currently on, which being an, a true Iowa fan, obviously I've read everything on Hayden and, and love him and the Gable books. I, I, I dove, you know, dove into all those. Huge Tony Dungy fan, so I've read everything that he's ever put out there, and and uh, and I I honestly what I've been spending most of my time with now is kind of been doing the football scoop, jumping on there and listening to coaches, and then we do so many Zoom meetings. Um, so now you know, listen to Coach Mitchell at Grand Valley or some of my buddies at Fresno and Wyoming. Um, that's what I've been doing. Like most of the nights, we we get done with our last meetings for with our players around seven thirty. Um, and like last night, I was on a Zoom meeting till 1215 with those guys. And we were talking X and O's and and just BSing a lot of the time, you know. But you, you get a lot of feedback on how to run a program from guys that have, have done a good job. Hmm. So is there anybody that you think we should be talking to? Um, You know, one of the, the guys that I would say is a, a phenomenal – uh, a speaker and has done a, a really, really good job with just guys that I've seen uh, in the upper Midwest. Uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, he was the D, D coordinator at the University of North Dakota. A uh, good friend of mine, but he's the uh, D line coach out at Fresno State now. Uh, Kellen DeBoer, he just got hired out there. I think he does a tremendously good job. Uh, I think he's phenomenal. Um, I do think the North Dakota ties or North Dakota state group has done a really good job. I think Tyler roll, their offensive coordinator uh, is a special human, uh, great individual. Uh, can't speak highly enough of their entire staff. Uh, David Brown, their D coordinator does a great job at, at North Dakota state as well. 
Um, and all those schools do too. I mean, South Dakota State, North Dakota State, uh, South Dakota, University of South Dakota, um, and University of, of uh, North Dakota, all those guys have been great. Uh, that's probably where we do most of our staff development and, and kind of model some of our programs after that. Um, but those are the guys that I probably lean on the most and, and talk to outside of, you know, I obviously talk to Matt Mitchell a lot with our ties, you know, playing and being a head coach at Grand Valley. But those are the guys that I've been leaning on uh, over my over my career. Well, coach, as we as we wrap up today, I, again, I can't thank you enough for for spending time with us. Is there anything that you, you'd like to leave our listeners with, um, you know, about what we've talked about today that you feel like we've missed or you you really want to hammer home worth repeating? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing and you guys hit a lot of great topics and it was awesome talking to you guys. But uh, I think, again, as the listeners go through it, if you're a college coach or a high school coach, you know, get in for, you know, get into the profession for the right reasons uh, and understand what you're getting yourself into. Um, some days I, I envy high school coaches more than anybody because you get your summers off and or to a degree. Uh, but college coaching is 365. I mean, it's it's 100 percent recruiting every single day. Um, but understand that, that it pays off in the end. And you just got to go with your values and beliefs um, and, and recruit kids or get kids to buy back into it. And that's what successful programs have been able to do over the years. And like what you're doing down there, Tim, has been awesome. Uh, I obviously follow you a, a ton. Um, and the hard thing is probably one of the, the more things that the hammer home is stay in touch with people. I feel bad. Like, and talked to you in years, I stopped down at the high school or at, at your job at the middle school and it was awesome. And sometimes you, you forget, you think you're busier than you truly, truly are to take 15 minutes out of your day, shoot people texts and communicate. Um, and there's some positive coming out of this Corona, you know, thing, and, you know, we're at home, but you know what, I probably stayed in contact or reopened communication with guys that I have in a long time being the, you know, alumni or, or guys that I play college football with. Um, and it's the same thing you talk to your kids. Like if you lay out your day, like we do this all the time. Hey, if you sleep for eight hours, you got 16 hours a day. Like, what are you doing with your time? Like we always say, you know, we got so much going on. No, you don't. Like, there's time. Like, I don't care if you're going to church, if you're running FCA, if you got, you know, a team and all this stuff that you have to do. And I'm, I'm guilty as anybody. Because, you know, I, I even have a hard time, like, you know, I, I, I force our staff, like I truly tell them to get out of the office for an hour. Just go work out, do whatever you want to do to keep your sanctity. Go eat with your family. I don't care. Um, but at that time, I sit in the office and I get more work done in that hour, you know, when they're gone, you know. So I'm like, shoot, I need to start doing this myself. So it's been nice. Like I force myself to get out of the house. I take my dogs hiking. We go biking. We do stuff up here. And it's it's kind of reset me mentally to, to get back into it. I'm chomping at the bit to get going. So um, that's kind of my send off for everything, but I do want to thank you guys for having me. It uh, was great talking. Yeah, it was really great coach. I did have one question. I was, I, I was going to ask you if, if I, if I can. Yeah. Uh, so Tim and I have talked about this because we talk about everything, but uh, you know, cause he used to coach at, at the college level. And I always said, man, maybe it would be fun to coach at the college level. And Tim's like, oh, the recruiting grind is, is not, not worth it for me, you know, just because the amount of hours that you spend into it. But was that hard for you? Like when you got into college coaching about like, cause you, you build relationships with these kids that you recruit. And then when they say, Hey, I'm going to somewhere else kind of, cause, and then 
like for me, I always thought that that would be really difficult for myself because of the relationships that you build with kids. And then when they have to tell you, hey, I'm going somewhere else is, I mean, did you kind of have to get pretty thick, obviously pretty thick skin to, to stay in the business? I mean, when someone says, hey, you know, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to pick your school kind of deal. But this was interested in your insight on that. Yeah, it, it certainly is difficult because there, there's kids that you really like as a, you know, as a person. And those are the personal bonds that you end up creating with the recruits. Um, recruiting is a grind. Like it's changed so much. Like everybody's like, oh, you know, you only have to recruit, you know, bring them on campus in November, December, sign them, get them done. Well, as you guys know, like we've been doing our junior evaluation since we got done. And so like our recruiting up in the Northern part is a lot further than even like the division schools in Missouri. Uh, most of our recruiting is done in December. Like we're, we usually have our signing class done. So in December through January, into February, before we go into spring ball, all we do is junior evaluate. So we spend an enormous amount of time watching thousands. Like I think personally, I evaluated 950 kids uh, in that time frame, And so now, that doesn't mean that I have a personal relationship with those kids, but then we rank our boards out. We decide who we're going to offer. And as the head coach, like, it's my job. Like, the one thing I learned from Dan McCartney when he was there, if I'm saying that wrong, the former head coach at Iowa State, uh, is it McCarty? McCartney? Can't McCartney. Dan McCartney. He, we were down there at a, a strength conditioning clinic, and he took some time out and was talking, and he's like, you know what? biggest thing that people have to learn is you got to recruit for an hour a day, set a time that you're going to recruit for an hour, which seems like, man, eh, you know, seven hours a week, which I say, Hey, you know, if we can get an hour a day, that's going to be pretty good because most of it's DMing kids or texting kids before it was phone calls. Um, but it's so intensive. Like you have so many guys on your list. So all of a sudden, you know, we might be recruiting, we'll just say a left tackle or a tackle in general. Well, we might have 40 kids on that tackle board and we think the top 10 are the guys that we're going to offer. All of a sudden, boom, they get their, you know, power five or FCS or whatever they get. And all of a sudden we got to recruit and you got to keep the other kids warm. So all of a sudden you're recruiting the, the top 40 plus the additional 30 kids that you might get down to. And that's just one position group. So you constantly are just, you know, grinding out. Like I do, I just created seven groups and, you know, O-line, D-line or whatever I'm doing and I communicate those kids each week, and that's the way I have to do it. And once they leave, obviously, or get offered or can get elsewhere, you move forward. Um, but typically, you know, for us, I mean, we signed 30 this year, I think. We had five official weekends of, you know, no, no more than 12 kids. So 60 total kids on official visits, we got 30 of them. So that, you know, it sucks because, yeah, you still lose 30, but some of those kids never got offered or, or whatever. But, you know, it, the hierarchy and how you, you wait for offers and we're not a huge multiple offer team. Like we're, we'll offer, you know, three or four guys at a position, but we still would probably be taking two. But we'll communicate that to the guys and let them know, hey, this is what's going on. And we have to set dates and all that. I understand it. Um, but the personal aspect is hard because, I mean, how many times do I, I, I go to their basketball games or I go in home and talk to the kids and you, they almost become like family and all of a sudden, yeah, they choose a different school. And sometimes you want to knee jerk react and, and let them have it. But I've learned over the years, taking the high roads, the better way, you just got to take a deep breath. And, you know, it's paid off wonders for us. And, you know, for us, we have a division one drop down DN that 
I recruited was on official visit, you know, wished him well. And, you know, he decided to come back, transfer D tackle, transfer receiver, which were all division one kids, a transfer uh, running back this year that we all recruited out of high school ended well, we're good relationships with the, with the parents. And all of a sudden they come back to BSU later on when it didn't work out at that higher level. So you, you got to be a little careful sometimes. Sometimes, you know, kids are making mistakes. Like they choose something, you know, like all oh, they had cool uniforms. Like, come on, man. It's a freaking uniform. You know, go where, where it's important. But kids are kids um, sometimes. And, and sometimes parents are just as bad. They're like, hey, they pick these really not important things to make a decision on instead of, you know, the culture and the education piece. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So sometimes it is frustrating, but you better take the high road the best you can. Cause if all of a sudden you get a negative, you know, negative cloud over your program, it, it can affect the future recruiting as well. Well, coach, if, if people listening to this want to reach out to you, how can they follow you on Twitter? You know, it's a great question. It's just, uh, I don't know my Twitter as much. Now it's, uh, it's, uh, at coach Bolte, uh, is my Twitter handle. And then, um, otherwise you can just look us up and get a hold of the staff and on email and, and hit us up that way. Uh, we are right in the midst of the recruiting stuff. We're definitely hammering home. Like it's the most Iowa kids I think we've ever offered this early. So we're trying to get back and Love it. expand down there. And my preference is to never have a kid outside the region. I'd rather have Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, and Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota. That's, uh, my goal in the future is not to leave the, the Northern footprint. So that's what we're trying to get accomplished. Awesome. Well, we're better today because of the time you spent with us, Coach. I really appreciate you you making the time to, to give us your thoughts on, on how to be effective in running a program and transitioning uh, during a, a really difficult time. Uh, thanks, and, and good luck to you the rest of the way. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Coach. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We are honored that you chose to spend your time with us. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform where you find your favorite podcasts. Let's keep chasing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Have a great rest of your day.